You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For Jordan Love. 37. Here he is throwing in the middle. It's caught by Watson. He's got great speed. Turning the corner. Christian Watson down the sideline. And he will score. Whoa. Hang on. Love to Watson. To a one-score game. This one is the stunner. You basically feel like all right, this Eagles team sort of has this thing under control, and then Christian Watson hits the Jets again. Six touchdowns now in the last three games. He is really something when he gets in the open field and running. That was some throw by Jordan Love too. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. If you'd like to text the show, you can send a text message to 865-658-5824. Again, that's 865-658-5824. Now, we are live on YouTube and Twitter right now. Uh, we're going to do a little chalk talk segment. Now, those of you guys who are listening, guys and gals that are listening on the podcast tomorrow, um, this will be in podcast form, obviously. We're going to do our best to draw a visualization for you. I know sometimes that can be very difficult to listen to a pod where someone's actually talking about what they're seeing on screen, but we want to make sure that we kind of bring you guys the information as much as we can. Now, what we're looking to do tonight is kind of highlight Lucas Van Ness, and I'm really, really excited about this. Hopefully, you guys can see on the screen and for those of you commenting in the chat just know <clears throat> i'm flying solo it's going to be very very difficult for me to uh, monitor the chat so um try to get back to you guys as soon as we can but we're going to we're going to try to get through this pod as quickly as possible because i just wanted to kind of break down some lucas van ness tape and when i say break down i don't mean it to sound like oh here's a uh, so-called you know quote unquote football guru you're going to tell me exactly what's going on what i like to do is try to Look at specific game situations. You guys know on Chalk Talk all year last year, what we really focused on is, you know, key moments in the game. When did the game kind of turn, whether it was in a positive or a negative manner, makes no difference to me. I want to be able to kind of go back and watch the tape and go, okay, here's where things went wrong. Here was a crucial moment. It's real easy to see the highlights and get excited about somebody. It's real easy to see a, a gaff, a, a, a blooper or what have you and go, man, they really lost the game on that one play. But in most cases, what really uh, controlled the outcome of the game and the final score doesn't even get talked about. So what I wanted to do is try to gear this around that same premise that we use for Chalk Talk during the season, and let's break down a, Lucas, a little bit of Lucas Van Ness. So I'm going to go to uh, the screen here and uh, going to kind of highlight for you guys a handful of plays from Lucas Van Ness, and then we'll try to wrap up pretty quick. But again, I wanted to give you guys just kind of an idea of what made him so valuable to Iowa. And one of the games I keyed in on was one of his highest graded games, according to PFF. I think he graded around 82, maybe 81, if I remember correctly. But this is a big rivalry game. This is Iowa versus Iowa State. And we're just going to start right at the top. You know, after the very first drive, guys, they went three and out, right? You guys know Iowa has a great defense. Iowa State comes out, they go three and out. 
So this is the very first three and out. There's 13-14 left in the first quarter. It's the opening drive, and this is going to set the tone for the entire game. And this is a block punt by Lucas Van Ness. What I want you to key in on as we roll the tape here is you'll notice Lucas Van Ness is down at the bottom down here, right? He is at the left end position, if you will, and uh, they've got a couple of guys protecting back here. The thing that I noticed about this punt, this punt block, and one a little later in this game as well, is – there's no wasted motion. He has a great get off and he doesn't try to do anything fancy. He doesn't try to avoid anybody. He literally runs right through the face of the protection. And you could tell that the punter just doesn't have time to get the punt off simply because Van Ness is so quick. And you see that freakish ability, that speed. And then he uses that very long frame to, to get into the wheelhouse there to, to block the punt basically on both occasions. But again, this one came in the first quarter. We're going to roll the tape. Check it out here. If you'll notice Lucas Van Ness there at the left end position, look at that. Look how quick he comes off the ball here. I mean, if you guys, for those of you on the pod, he moves before everybody else. Half a step he's in. I mean, he's literally down the line, runs right through the face, and he actually blocks this with his face mask, which is hilarious because if you look at his hand, if you look at his arm, his wingspan, the the arm is, you know, you would think that would be what blocked it there, but he really overshoots with the arm, and the ball hits him right in the face. But nonetheless, it's a huge block punt, guys. That, Like I said, that sets the tone for the entire day. As we roll it all the way through here, I'm going to try to get rid of the noise if I can. I thought I had everything set up, but I guess I don't. So we're not even going to play it. We're just going to roll it through manually. But you can see right through the face. I mean, this guy had no shot at getting this punt off. And it has nothing to do with the protection. That's what's crazy. Like, if anything, you want to try to chip Van Ness off the line, but it's obvious their protection isn't set up that way. They know there's two guys there to stop him, right? But you see, he gets there so quick, the punter hasn't even – Hasn't even planted, put his plant foot down yet, and Van Ness is already in his face. Bang, blocks it. Huge play to start the game off. And like I said, we know this Iowa defense is really, really stout. The offense was hot garbage. I mean, hot garbage. <laughs> so the defense kind of carried that team all year long. But you'll notice right here off screen, Van Ness is a little bit to the left. You'll see him come into the picture. The thing I want you to notice when he comes into the picture here Look how big this guy is. Look at him next to two, next to number 37. Like everybody on the field, they look like just small human beings compared to Van Ness, number 91. Look at him, just goes right through his face, paw in the air, and of course takes it right off the chin. <laughs> but hey, whatever you got to do to get it done, right? So again, that was a special teams play, and, and you can bet your butt we're going to be using him on special teams this year. I'm really excited about that. Put your best players on the freaking field when it comes to special teams. You know, it's something that Belichick has put so much time, so much focus into, and it's something that was neglected by the Packers coaching staff for so long, even under Mike McCarthy. You know, at times it just, I mean, I don't want to give anybody any kind of PTSD here, but, I mean, you say Brandon Bostick, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You know exactly the play, and it's not to bash him. It's sad that one play – uh, I, you know, kind of controls the whole outlook on Brandon Bostick's entire NFL career. Um, but again, it was just, it, that was, that was special teams in Green Bay for so long, not now with Rich Passaccia. So I'm excited to see if Lucas Van Ness gets some significant snaps on special teams. And again, however you can get on the field, you know, I think he's going to see a lot of playing time, especially if Rashawn Gary isn't healthy week one. I think they just thrust him right in there. This would be the year to do it. Everybody's expecting you to finish last in the North. I'm going to continue to say it because I love that underdog role. Keep telling – I want everybody, keep it coming. Keep the hate coming. Vikings fans, Bears fans, Lions fans, keep piling on. Keep, keep reminding us that we're going to finish last in the division. I want to hear it every single day. And, and don't act surprised when it doesn't happen. Um, but – Put put him out there, man. He's gonna, he's probably going to be playing edge, um, you know, for the most part with Gary being hurt. I'm excited about seeing him in the one technique, which we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, put him out there on the edge and let him cut his teeth, man. What do you got to lose? Nobody's expecting you to do anything this year, anyways. Let him get some valuable valuable reps. It's something that Peyton Manning was talking about on the on the McAfee show uh, earlier. I guess it was yesterday. I was listening to it today. And uh, he was talking about some of these quarterbacks that come in the league, and he's like, man, put them in there. Let them get those valuable reps. You know, I think I think they said that Peyton threw 27 interceptions, 27 or 28 interceptions his rookie year. And, and there were so many people who was like, oh, wow, Ryan Leaf was the better quarterback. Think about that. But what Peyton said was the thing that he could hang his hat on was he took every single snap that year, every single snap, you know, in spite of the fact that he played horrible. 
right? But he said those were as valuable reps as any reps he got his entire career because it set, it gave him a floor, it gave him a foundation and something to build off of. And, and if anything, it was he could only go up from there, right? And and, it, and it, it's hard to stomach to think that you would take a number thirteen pick and sit him on the bench the majority of the year, right? Put his butt out there, man. Let him cut his teeth. Let's move on to the next play. Second quarter, 13.58 left, right? They're winning seven to nothing now. So they converted that to points. They scored there in the first quarter. So we're going into the second quarter, winning seven to nothing. And now you see Iowa State has really drove the ball down the field. It's a first and goal for Iowa State on the eight-yard line. Okay. They come out in an 11 gun strong right trips, halfback same. Okay. And then and with with the Iowa defense, if you notice, they come out in a four-man front. This is kind of uh this is their their go-to, more or less. They love to play a little off coverage, and they love just a four-man front. You know, you see so many uh, college defenses, they really like to flood the box and try to confuse the quarterback. I was one of those teams. It's just like our four guys and, and a little bit of schematic adjustment, we're going to be able to beat your front five, right, especially when you want to spread it out with this trips look right here, right? So, essentially, they've got five guys to block four, and uh, Iowa comes out in a four-man front. Now, you, you see State, they're spreading it out. What they're trying to do here, guys, they're trying to reduce the box, and they've done it. They've they've accomplished that right here. I mean, really, when you look at the box here, you've only got five defenders in the box, and you've got five offensive linemen to block. You've got a quarterback and a halfback, and what they're going to do is kind of this read option look, although I think it was a quarterback keeper. You could call it a read left. I think it was more of a quarterback keeper. As soon as he came out and seen seen that hat count, I think he realized let's let the halfback you know blow up the hole and let's keep it with the quarterback and just try to get a solid gain here on first down. You got to understand, you know, Coach Hahn and I, we've talked about it all year long on Chalk Talk that don't wait until third down to get a first down, right? You know, everybody talks about how important third down uh, complete or conversion, you know, percentage is, right? How often you convert on third down, convert a first down on third down is huge. Uh, those days are gone. Now you've got offensive coordinators that are trying to pick up first downs on second downs and even first downs, right? And it sounds silly. It sounds so uh, simplistic, but that's really what you've got to key in on is, is don't allow yourself to get behind the sticks. When you get behind the sticks, you've got to dig deeper into that bag and you're getting into lower percentage plays, right, uh, as far as the success rate. Um, so in this scenario, what they're doing is, look, it's a first and goal from the eight-yard line. Let's just pick up two or three yards here. Let's run a little read look. They're just showing a four-man front. They got a light box. Let's run this read. Now, what Van Ness does a great job doing is setting the edge, and I love this play just as much as any sack highlight that, that you'll ever see. Because setting the edge, we have seen it time and time again. If you don't believe me, go back and watch the 49ers rush for 1,200 yards on Green Bay in one freaking game because that's what it felt like. And it was all because no one was uh, schematically sound and they didn't show any gap integrity and they darn sure didn't set the edge. The one thing that you notice about Lucas Van Ness, in my opinion, is when you see him in this five technique, which is what he's going to come out here, he's in a five tech at the right end position. If you look here at the bottom of the screen, he's right here. So when he's in that five tech, when he's it really it's 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 almost it's very, very, very close to a four tech. It really is. I mean, he's just barely on the outside shoulder, but it, it it's typically in rundown situations, is what I noticed with the tape. Now I didn't I haven't watched all of the all of the Iowa games, okay? Because it, it is kind of scarce to get a hold of some of that stuff. But when you when you have a an obvious running down. They seem to like to put him on the edge. Why is that? Because he's got a huge freaking frame. And then on passing situations, they like to play him inside. Why is that? To push the pocket. Guys, that, that is where the game has gone right now. When you look at Philadelphia and how they built their fronts, it's exact. they're building their fronts to protect Jalen Hurts from having the pocket caved in on him, and they're trying to push the pocket on every single opponent. And that's what makes them so good. That's that's kind of that new, you know, it used to be the the dip and rip and the outside, the the flash, the real quick outside moves from the pass rushers. The new NFL is build it from the inside out and really try to push that pocket. And and it's not when I say new, it's not like it's never been done before. It's just something that the league is so cyclical in nature that things come back around, and that's kind of where we're at now. Right. So, again, we got Lucas Van Ness here at right in. We're going to roll the tape. What I really want you guys to key in on is watch him. We're going to zoom in here. You'll see him right there at the right end position right here. Watch him set this edge. And what I mean by set the edge, watch how he, he's patient. But at the same time, watch how he makes sure that both the running back and the quarterback has no opportunity to run outside. Now, the reason I don't think it's a, a real read option is because you could see the quarterback really never looks 
at Van Ness's side, right? If it is a read option, he would be watching that side, right? Because you could tell it, it almost looks like a sweep play without the pool. And well, I guess there is technically a pulling guard that slides in uh, behind the center there. It's more about sealing off that backside. So this is definitely an inside run is what they're looking to hit. But watch Van Ness on the bottom here. Engages, right? Again, watch him off the ball. Look how quick. Real quick off the ball. And look how quick he gets his hands on this tackle. He engages first. You see this time and time and time again on his tape. So quick hands, bang. Now watch right here. This play here, it could bounce out, right? It's obviously designed to the inside. Now all of a sudden, we have the hat count inside. We be in Iowa. It's funny, I sound like an Iowa fan now, right? But if you notice here, watch this quick jab step outside. See how he sets that edge? As soon as the quarterback starts to go outside or thinks about going outside, look how he takes it away. That is what you call setting the edge. And the thing I love about Van Ness, and you're going to hear me say it time and time again watching some of these highlights with you, is he keeps his eyes in the backfield constantly. It's like he's got the frame, he's got the strength, he's got the motor, he's got all the physical ability to handle that 320-pound lineman, 310-pound lineman in front of him that he can take his mind to a different place and be able to focus on the ball. He does that really, really well. That's one of the things I've noticed about watching the tape with him that I'm really excited about because you see it even with great players in the league. You see running backs go right by him. It's like just stick your freaking arm out. And it's because they don't have the vision. They don't have the wherewithal to keep their eyes in the backfield while still engaging with that uh, that offensive lineman or that fullback or that tight end, whoever it may be. But, again, watch him right here. As soon as it starts to go outside, he kind of walks the tackle over, jab step out, then shrugs him right off. And look at how he came back inside to help out, right? Didn't get the tackle. But, again, the reason this play got blown up is because he set that edge and, again, allowed his teammates to flow to the ball. Just a great freaking job by Lucas Van Ness there. And, again, I just wanted to point out that in an obvious running situation, they put him right out there on the edge, right, put him right out on the edge. So let's go on to the next play here. Hopefully I'm explaining this well enough for you guys on the pod. I apologize. If not, give me some feedback on how we can get you guys some more details so we can visualize it a little bit better. But hopefully you're coming away with some of the pros and cons of Lucas Van Ness's game. Let's go to the second quarter. One minute and four seconds left. So, again, what I want to point out, though, on that last play there, it was second quarter, 13-58, a first and go. We held them to a field goal there. So everything begins and ends with first down, right, first down in mind. You have got to stop them on first down to now have them dig a little deeper into their play call sheet, okay, meaning they can get away from their bread and butter plays because now it's a second and 11 because it was a one-yard loss, if I remember correctly. Right. So now it's a second and 11 as opposed to a second and eight. That's a whole different graph of plays. Right. So it's really, really important. Now they force them to a field goal. So now, as you can see here on screen, the score is now seven to three. Iowa still leads. Here you've got Iowa State. Uh, they're driving again. Okay. So you've got a second and 10 play from the 12 yard line. Uh, Iowa's got a, a four man front. Okay. They come out in a five tech, a two tech, a two tech, and a six I. The six I is a little bit debatable, especially on the TV copy, but best I can tell, that's what it looks like. It looks like that six I is inside the nub. And what I mean by inside the nub, for those of you listening, if you look at this formation, Basically, what State did was they came out in an 11 gun, trips left, strong right, halfback same. Now, anytime you've got a trips left, strong right, what you're seeing is the three wide receivers are to the left. You've got strong right, meaning the tight end is on the right side of the field. So he is what we call the nub tight end. Okay. When you've got uh when you've got receivers on the opposite side of the field from the lone tight end, and he's the only one on that side of the ball as far as an eligible, and he's on the line of scrimmage, we call that a nub tight end. At least that's what I've heard it called. <clears throat> you can call it bunk bed. You can call it Jerry Seinfeld. I don't care what you call it, okay? But we, we've always known it as nub tight, okay? So at the nub tight end, what you see here is a six eye. So if he was lined up directly over that tight end, again, I'm going to talk about the, the technique real quick for you guys. Some of you guys are hearing, you know, two, uh, two technique, four technique, one technique. It's really, really simple, okay? Zero technique is if you lined up at nose tackle right across from the center. So think of every offensive lineman as an even number, okay? So you've got zero tech over the center, two tech over the guard, four tech over the tackle. On the right side, same thing. So over the center, zero tech, right guard, two tech, uh, right tackle, four tech. So if you've got a tight end, it would be a six tech. Now you'll see that that top lineman up there, it's not Van Ness, but I'm just pointing out what I mean by 6-I. He is on the inside shoulder of that tight end, so that is a 6-I look, 
Okay, if he was on the inside shoulder of the uh, the guard, it would be a four eye. Now, some of you guys are going, "What's the difference between a four eye and a and a three technique?" It's a great question. I asked that same thing. Not only did I ask it, but Jason Kelsey asked it. All pro center from the Philadelphia Eagles is like, "Why in the world do we do we, do we have eyes, but we don't have O's?" It just makes no sense. Um, but again, it's you're really you're kind of. I don't know, you're really digging in a little bit too deep when you get into the eye, in my opinion. I would rather stick with just evens and odds, and uh, and that it's going to get you close enough. Although, you, you say that type of thing in a uh, in a meeting room, and Coach Hahn's probably cringing right now if he's listening to this, it, it does matter to the coaching staff. So, again, they're out in an 11-gun, trips left, strong right, halfback same. The technique that we're showing with Iowa is like I said before, we got a five tech down here with Van Ness, so he's on the outside shoulder of the tackle. You've got a two tech who's directly across from the guard. You've got another two, which is uh, uh, directly across from the right guard, and then you've got that six eye that's up there on the nub tied in. Now Van Ness and this five tech at right in. Watch what he does right off the back as, as we roll the tape here. And, and again, I want to point out the the situation. This is why it's so important. Uh, this is in the second quarter, one oh four left. We're winning seven to three. Some of you guys are going middle eight, Clayton, middle eight. Absolutely, it's a middle eight. This is crucial. Middle eight and turnover differential is really what's going to determine whether or not you win the ball game, at least to a uh, a greater percentage chance of winning the ball game. Right? You guys know my betting philosophy, and it I knocked it out of the freaking park last year with live betting using those two key statistics and just a little bit of common sense trying to trying to determine okay is this worth putting action in on or not, um, but. The middle eight is simply the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Typically, if you just break that down into its own separate score, the team that wins the middle eight has a greater chance of winning the ball game, especially that coupled with turnover differential. So going into halftime, you're getting ready to go into halftime. They're driving. Obviously, they are all the way down to the 12-yard line. And I want you to watch Van Ness here, man. He really dog walks this tackle. Um, it, as as the play begins, I want you to watch how the uh, the guard sees that Van Ness is pushing the pocket. Okay, and this is what Van Ness does. You're not going to see Van Ness with with dip plays around the edge or any kind of fancy spin move or crazy quickness. Although we know he torched the combine and that 40 yard dash. People compared, you know, I think his combination of speed and and, and agility is only uh, matched by a couple of different players, both of which have turned out to be pretty good. I think Trayvon Walker, or was it Trayvon Walker, I believe? Yeah, in Jacksonville. I may have the name mixed up. I believe he had similar uh, combine statistics and also Nick Bosa. So that's pretty good company, right? But at the same time, he's not he's not going to use you know quick moves around the edge, he being Van Ness. He's more of a bull rusher. Right. And I love how patient he is at times, but he begins dog walking this tackle. And you'll see the guard here as we roll it forward here. You see, bang, he engages. Look at the guard like, oh crap. <laughs> right. So the guard comes over to try to help with Van Ness because he sees he's starting to drive that tackle. What I love about this play, rather than just trying to take the edge, right? Because right here, what the quarterback's looking to do is he's looking to hit a deep pass over here in the corner of the end zone. OK, but what you notice Van Ness does rather than trying to get fancy and just taking the edge right here, he could rip. He could dip and rip and take that edge so freaking quick. But what's he do? He plants his foot and digs in and he begins pushing that tackle on back. Look at the quarterback's throw motion. Look how uncomfortable he looks trying to throw this ball. He needs a clean pocket to step up and deliver that ball. And he can't do it. And he can't do it He because the angle, the throw angle. And I'm going to go ahead and roll it ahead here and show you where the ball ends up. Look where he's trying to put that ball. If anything, he's wanting to put that ball out here. He's wanting to put it away from both defenders and give only his receiver a chance to make that play, right? He can't do it. Why can he not do it? Because look at Van Ness push that tackle back. Look how it's almost like it's sidearm. You could just tell the quarterback is not comfortable. He wasn't able to completely step into the throw. It's just a little half hitch and try to let it rip. And what happens? You guessed it. Interception in the end zone. Guys, during the middle eight, you're talking about gaining an advantage in the turnover differential along with winning the middle eight on one freaking play. And what's crazy is it won't even show up in the stat column. Why won't it show up in the stat column? Because, you know, it it, it might be considered a pressure. I don't even know if it would be considered a pressure. 
because he didn't necessarily beat his guy. He didn't clear his guy, but he was pushing that tackle and even occupied the guard to the point where the other guy rushing on his side had a little bit more push than he should have had because the guard was originally double teaming that inside guy at the two tech on the same side as Van Ness, right? So Van Ness pushes that ju- that pocket just enough to cause a little bit of a, you know, uh, a little bit of discomfort for the quarterback, and he hangs that thing up there, and it's picked off. You win the turnover differential and the middle eight in one freaking play, and it all comes down to four words, pressure pick, coverage sack. Pressure pick, coverage sack. What does that mean? Good pressure leads to picks. There's your pick. And good coverage typically leads to sack. If that guy's completely covered up and he knows he doesn't even have a window to throw into out there, right? which right here he actually had a window. He just couldn't put enough on it because of the pressure that Van Ness is applying. If he if he doesn't have that window, you're probably seeing a sack there as he tries to eat that ball, right? So pressure pick, coverage sack, win the middle eight, and the turnover differential off of one play, all because of Van Ness. It's just a, a phenomenal play. Absolutely love it. So, again, there was a chance for Iowa State to score. They came up empty. They actually turned the ball over right before halftime because of that pressure. Now, let's skip ahead. Third quarter, 7.51 left, okay? 7.51 left in the third quarter. We're still winning 7-3, we being Iowa, okay? It's fourth and seven, and this is a punt play. You already seen Van Ness block one punt earlier in this game. Same, same freaking scenario. You'll see Van Ness down here at the bottom, left end, right, coming off the edge. You got two guys protecting, although one will have to break off and help with another guy. Nothing fancy, but watch Van Ness. Watch how quick he gets off the ball. I mean, he is – look how much further he is into his movement before everybody else. He is just so quick twitch. It's something that Greg Cosell talks about constantly, and he talked about it with Ross Tucker. You guys heard me say it on the pod. It's like you cannot teach quickness. You can't. And he asked Ross Tucker, he said, how important is it to have that first step and be quick off the ball? And Ross Tucker, who was a mediocre offensive lineman, which means he could – play offensive linemen around us in our sleep, right? So don't get it twisted. I'm not knocking Ross Tucker. He's one of my favorite podcasters. Um, Played for several teams in the league for several years. He said, if someone's quick, they're done. They're beat. We're not worried about him. We're not worried about him at all. If they're slow off the ball, we can handle that. It's those guys that are so quick twitch. That's what makes things difficult. So not only does does he have power, but Lucas Van Ness has that quick first step, and you see it right there. Again, comes off the ball, off the edge, nothing fancy, just runs right through the protection, and the punter never had a shot. This one is really, really fun to watch because when the angle changes here in a second, you see this doesn't hit him in the face. He uses every inch of his wingspan, and it goes right off his fingertips as he blocks the punt. And the thing that I noticed, too, you know, you, you see that freakish speed, that that quickness that we, uh, we all seen at the combine. Right. Um, but also what you see is great hand eye coordination on the block as well. As I roll it ahead here, I want to show you what I'm talking about. When we get to this other angle, I believe it's right here. Yeah. Look at Van Ness and how he gets that wingspan up there. Like he knows exactly where to put his arm, his hand to block that punt. And look how he's he's literally reaching over the protection. They could have called holding on the protection, which is hilarious. Because the block still got punt, you know the the punt still got blocked, I should say. But again, Van Ness with that wingspan, man. But here's something else I do want to point point out: um, the great hand-eye coordination that we're talking about there. Right? It sounds so silly. It sounds so minute. But this dude's a former hockey player. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a hockey game, but it's amazing that they have the hand-eye coordination they do not only to control the puck when they got it, but just to keep their eyes on the puck the entire game. You know, there's so many fans that don't like watching hockey because it's so hard to keep up with the puck on TV as it is, right? Um, So I think that's something you're kind of seeing carry over from uh, the sport of hockey when it comes to Lucas Van Ness too. Now, the the last thing I want to highlight on this play, and for those of you listening on the pod, it's really cool. He blocks that punt. He's coming over to the sideline, right? And literally a coach. I mean, he, he jumps into his arm. It's supposed to be a chest bump, but he really jumps into Lucas Van Ness's arms. This coaching staff love this kid. And then look at his teammates. Look at look at every one of them. Like, and for those of you listening on the pod, they're just going crazy. Like, this is a guy that you want on your football team. This is the hardest working guy in the locker room. They call him Hercules for a reason, right? Not only that, you can tell he's out there on special teams, blocking two punts. 
against a against a, a in-state rival, like they love this dude. Look at the teammates as he comes on across here. Look at this. Absolutely love him, man. That's a spark plug for that Iowa team. And that's going to be a spark plug for Green Bay for a long time to come. I'm really, really excited about it. Here's another angle here, just real quick. As you can see, look at look at just and, and notice it's not just he just threw his hand up. Look how he's leaning into it too. Like he's leaning to the right. He knows exactly where his hand needs to be to block this punt. Great hand-eye coordination, man. They, they didn't have a shot. Look at that right there. Bang. Two block punts in the same game against an in-state rival. I, I love it, man. Love it. Teammates mugging him. He's just a spark plug. He's everything you want on your team. So, again, that came in the third quarter, 7-51. You're only winning 7-3. to three. They were looking at flipping the field, they being Iowa State, right? They wanted to flip the field, and instead they gave the ball back to the Iowa offense at their own 20-yard line, right? So – just a, a huge play, man, and, and it doesn't need to go unnoticed. They go on to win that game, obviously, okay? And uh, you could see there it was one of his highest-graded games. You could see four different things on that highlight reel I just showed you. First of all, two block punts, right? Two block punts where he showcased the, the quick twitch, the quickness, all that stuff that, you, that you've seen at the combine. You've seen him set the edge in a crucial first-and-goal run that prevented that – Prevented them from prevented Iowa State from getting in the end zone and holding them to a field goal, huge win. And then you've seen him apply pressure, which led to a pick in the end zone that won you the middle eight and the turnover differential. Absolutely huge. So, enough of Iowa State. Let's go to another game real quick. And we're going to try to speed up here. Okay, um, this game was Nevada. Okay, in uh, this scenario, I really wanted to point this out because these are the things when I was watching the tape really grabbed my attention. You know, I mentioned against Iowa State. I just said enough Iowa State, and we're already going back to it. But in running situations, they put them on the edge, right? In a first, a first and goal, they put them on the edge. But in a passing situation, an obvious passing situation on a third and medium, third and long, they put them inside to push that pocket, right? It's important to understand that. And this play right here against Nevada, it, it holds true once again. They're beating Nevada 14 to nothing. It's in the second quarter, 14-55 left. It's a third and four play. So, again – Third and floor, four, third and medium, right? And Iowa comes out in a five, a one, a two, and a nine. Okay, so if you look at the technique, you get the five down here at the bottom, at, at the the right end position. He's he's standing up, so I guess some people would consider it a you know outside linebacker. I think it's silly. It's 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 edge is what it is, but he's in a five tech. Okay, you've got Van Ness in a one tech. I cannot tell you how excited I am watching him play a one and a three tech like. That's what I want to see him do on third downs in Green Bay. Um, so he's in a one tech. Then you got the two opposite him, and then you got a wide nine out here. That wide nine is basically would be lined up on the outside shoulder of the tight end if there was a tight end on that side of the field. Now, obviously, there isn't. Okay, they come out. Uh, Nevada comes out in an eleven pistol spread wide left. Okay, what's that mean? Eleven pistol, eleven personnel, one running back, one tight end, uh, three wide receivers. They're in a pistol set. With the Y left, meaning the Y is actually flexed out. So you've only got a five-man protection. You got the four-man front rushing. The pistol, meaning the quarterback is roughly four yards behind the center, directly behind the center. And then the halfback is another three yards, maybe two and a half yards directly behind the quarterback. It makes it very hard to defend against the run. And also you can do some real unique things uh, with protection if that halfback is directly behind the uh, the quarterback, okay? You can be a, a little more sporadic with that that look. Now, Van Ness in the one-tech, he played five-tech on rundowns, like I said. Here he's in a one-tech in an obvious passing situation. His job right here, guys, and you could tell it right off the bat as I roll the tape, his job is to occupy a double team. He's in that one-tech for that very reason. His goal, and you see, as soon as the ball is snapped, the guard kind of looks right. But watch what Van Ness does. It's almost like he's trying to ignore – in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs 
kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline the left guard, and he wants to make sure he engages with both the center and the guard. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because you got the wide nine up here. What he's trying to do is he's being the unselfish player in this situation where he wants to occupy the double team. So you got this guy, the right end on an island with the with the left tackle. You have got the uh, the two technique in the interior on the left side. ISO'd with the left guard, and then you got the wide nine on the right tackle ISO'd. So he's being the unselfish player. He's trying to occupy the double team. Now, what's crazy is the way the protection was set, it's obvious that the center was trying to look right. Van Ness doesn't let him. Van Ness goes straight at the center, engages with both of them, puts his left hand on the center, <laughs> his right hand on the guard, and just starts driving. And it is something to see. Now, you see right here, the guard pulls off, right? Or the center pulls off. The center pulls off and tries to help with that two-tech, and he does a good job. By this time, though, Van Ness has already pushed the guard back four yards, right? So when we get to this point, now the quarterback's got a bell. And once again, what's the thing that we talked about earlier? In every one of these highlights and every one of these uh, cut-ups that we've watched of Van Ness, he does an excellent job of keeping his eyes in the backfield. So this whole time that he's just dog walking this guard back, obviously he, he occupies the double team, right? Forced the double team, I should say, by putting his hands on both. Tries to do a little rip move, but his eyes the whole time is on the quarterback. And right here he just muscles his way in. The guard ends up on the ground. And guess who's got the quarterback in his hands? Lucas Van Ness. When the quarterback tried to bail, Van Ness disengages like with ease. I mean, you can see it. It's, it looks like this guard's got him tied up pretty good, and then he's off of him, bang, and he gets the sack. So in this specific play, this situation, what do you have happen here? You literally have his sole priority, him being Van Ness, was literally to occupy a double team and obviously not give up on the play, but like, hey, look, make sure you tie those two guys up and he ends up getting the sack. That's why I get excited about the thought of him being in a one-tech and a three-tech, because that's the type of stuff he can do. It's not to say that we don't want to mold him into an edge rusher. It's not to say that we don't want to teach him those speed moves and give him three or four tools in the bag as far as pass rush ability, right, and, and, and you know, different uh, strategic approaches. But what you want to do is identify what your players do well and put them in a position to do that well. Right. And that's why it makes all the sense in the world for me to say, hey, when Gary's healthy, let's put that dude on the interior on obvious pass situations. 
right? If you want to play him on the edge, who knows? He he may beat Preston Smith out. Preston Smith might be riding the pine. I have nothing against Preston Smith, but let's put the best players on the field. And the last thing you want is progress stopping, right? So let's go to the last clip here. I just wanted to show that because there's a couple things kind of popped out to me there. Again, passing situation. He was lined up on the inside. Notice how he engaged the double team and still ended up getting the sack. Really, really good stuff. Showed the power, showed the quickness. Now, let's go to the Northwestern game real quick. I don't have down and distance. It doesn't even matter. For those of you guys listening on the pod, the reason I'm showing this is because you've got in this situation, it's a it's a passing play, and you've got Lucas Van Ness in a wide nine. And this really this angle right here gives you a good idea of why they call it wide nine. If you had a tight end right here, right, then you could see it would be the tight end would be six, seven. If there was another person, eight, he would be on the outside shoulder of that person if you had two tight ends on that side of the field. So this is a wide nine tech, okay? And, again, why are we showing this? We're showing this because this guy right here, number 77, their left tackle at Northwestern, is the golden boy, Mr. Peter Skaronsky. And when you watch what he does to Peter Skaronsky, it is wild. He's out here in this uh, out here in this wide nine. Watch how patient he is off the snap. This is beautiful. So he comes off the snap, and he's kind of upright. He's kind of patient, right? He's setting him up. Peter Skaronsky's like, look at this big corn-fed mother right here, right? And I, this right here is the, the, the little subtle move, right? Just a quick, subtle jab step outside. And you'll notice, watch Skaronsky's feet. For those of you on the pod, he does his kick step, and he, and he tries to set his base. And then Van Ness throws a, a real quick jab step outside right there. And watch Peter Skaronsky widen his base. And when he does – Van Ness just hits him right in the freaking mouth. And look at Peter Skaronsky. It's over. It's done. And his quarterback gets annihilated. The ball gets out. But, boy, I cannot wait to see Van Ness do this right here to Justin Fields. That's the look. That's what you want right there, boys. Absolute ear hole. Legal play. Tried to catch himself as he went on the ground. Did a pretty good job there. But that quarterback is seeing stars. And, again, you're talking about – I think it was pretty consensus around the league. Maybe Michael Lombardi disagreed. Peter Skaronsky was probably the best offensive lineman, according to consensus, in the entire NFL draft. And you see right here, our number 13 pick, Lucas Van Ness, just absolutely annihilate him. And it wasn't nothing fancy. Again, this isn't a crazy Dwight Freeney spin move. This isn't a hump move, you know, like Reggie White was, you know, so famous for. This isn't a dip and rip. This all this isn't a club. What do you got here? It's just a quick jab step and it's power. And you put that freaking all-world left tackle, first round pick on his butt, along with the quarterback. I can't wait to see him do that in Green Bay, man. It's going to be absolutely awesome. So there's your chalk talk for today. I know we hadn't done it in a long time. I'm glad we got around to doing it. Um, because it is, it's a lot of fun to talk X's and O's. And uh, for those of you who are still uh, watching and, and listening on, on YouTube and Twitter, um, I'm not going on camera tonight. There's no reason to. We just want to show you guys those clips. Hopefully everything broadcast out okay so everybody can see it. And uh, actually, we got a few people here in the chat. Let's see if we can see this real quick. Um, Mike in the chat says he will be better than Gary in year two. Easy. I can see it. I really can. Now, the whole Rashawn Gary thing, Mike, if you remember, you know, obviously he came in behind two great defensive linemen, right? Or two edge defenders, I should say. Uh, you had Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, and they were at their peak, right? And we seen what that defense did in 29. I believe it was 2019, the first year there. Um, and, and, you know, Gary really had to fight his way into that rotation. But I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I And I think Ryan even talked about on his pod, it, it feels like Van Ness already has more to work with than Rashawn Gary did at the time because you guys know Rashawn Gary played a lot of interior um, at Michigan, but a lot different interior. You know, he didn't, he didn't put out highlight films at Michigan like Van Ness has, right? So I agree with you, Mike. Mike says 58 sacks. Uh, 58 sacks, 12 forced fumbles, and two Pro Bowls. Boy, sign me up, dude. Sign me up. He reminds me of another former Hawkeye and Packer, Aaron Campman. That might be a great comp. And, and this is why I hate comps, Mike, because you saying that, people are going, oh, why, because he's what? I don't care about Ray. Can we get over the race junk? Like, the other day I was watching it, and I'm like, he kind of reminds me of a a more raw, not as talented J.J. Watt just because the the speed, the power combination, how he plays inside that type of thing. Oh, it's because he's white. He ain't got nothing to do with him being white. 
It's just, and, and you know, him pointing out Iowa, Aaron Campman, dude, was a beast. I loved Aaron Campman. I hated that they couldn't get him an opposite edge rusher in time. You know, it seems like, if I remember correctly, Clay got to play with him one year, and then they let him go, uh, let Aaron go. But it was cool seeing Aaron Campman try to work with uh, Kevin Green because those guys had a lot in common as well. Goose in the chat said, how would you feel if Lucas Van Ness came out and played at that at the level Gary did in year two? Bro, I would be over the moon, absolutely over the moon. You know, that's something we haven't really had. You had Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith do it, right? Uh, but it, it – to me, it kind of felt like that one year they were both good, and then after that, it was kind of staggered. You know, Preston Smith would have a down year, but Zadarius was playing good. And then Zadarius leaves, and Preston has a little bit better year. Now Rashawn Gary had a good year, and Preston Smith had a down year, and then Rashawn Gary gets hurt. The thought of having multiple pass rushers really excites me. I mean, it does. Um, especially if you can get into a little bit of that NASCAR package like we talked about the other night. You know, imagine a pass rush situation where on the field on a let's say a third and a third and eight or a third and eleven, whatever, right? Obvious passing situation. And you come out and you've got, you know, Rashawn Gary. Let's just go left to right. Let's say you've got Preston Smith, then you got Lucas Van Ness, and then you got Kenny Clark, and then you've got Devontae White, and then you got Rashawn Gary. And some of you guys are going, Clayton, we don't run five man fronts. Hey, I know we didn't run it near as often as we wanted to. But the times are changing, you know. <laughs> Sound like Papaw Bailey here, right? But it, it's so true. Like the league changes, and and let's just pray that that Matt Lafleur and Joe Barry and this this coaching staff are willing to adapt and adjust. And Ryan pointed out on his pod, I think it was yesterday, that they seemed to make an adjustment down the stretch, and the defense did get better. I think at one point they were, I think over a short span, I think it might have been four games, they were like in the top five in defense in DVOA, right? Um, and I'm not saying DVOA is everything. A lot of people are much higher on that than I am. I'm looking at turnover differential. I'm looking at, um, you know, kind of uh, timing-based situations where, uh, you know, when, do, when does a player step up? What look are you playing in crucial situations? I'm not even going to talk about playing off the ball on a on a third and short. <laughs> I don't want to get anybody triggered in the, in the chat. But, yeah, man, I, I, think, uh, I think that's totally possible, Goose. I love the idea of getting all those guys on the same field in somewhat of a NASCAR package. Now, it wouldn't be a technical NASCAR package if you got both Kenny Clark and uh, Devontae Wyatt on the field. It would be more along the lines of uh, more edge defenders. But just get your best players on the field and put yourself in the position to for them to excel at what it is they do best, right? But I think we got something in Lucas Van Ness. I really do. Uh, Mike in the chat said, uh, LVN, let's roll. Um, the Van Ness monster. I like that, dude. That needs to be a T-shirt. Hey. Go shoot that over to Ryan right now. We need the, the Van Ness monster. What we need is the silhouette of Nessie, the Loch Ness monster, with Van Ness's head on top in a Packers helmet, right? That's what we need. Boom, we're selling T-shirts like crazy, baby. All right, so we're getting ready to get out of here. Um, matter of fact, let's see, we're at the 43-minute mark. Yeah, we're just going to wrap it up there. You know, I had, I had a couple questions that people were asking. Um, it was mainly about Aaron Rodgers, man. I You know, it's – I'm so tired of talking about it. I keep trying to steer the conversation away from Aaron Rodgers. And and every it seems like every day someone else dives back in on it and they point out everything he's ever done wrong while others refuse to acknowledge that he's done anything wrong. And I'll do this. Let me just – let me read this real quick. This came from the Discord chat. And this is the best way to sum up exactly how I feel about Aaron Rodgers and, and how everything transpired. And this is how I remember it. This is how everything unfolded. You got to understand, I could pull the receipts on this too. I was the guy back in 2018 that was ticked off at Rogers. I was the dude that was like, man, he, I'm just sick of him. Um, it, you know, he got McCarthy fired because the media was saying that. We found out later that wasn't true, right? Um, and as you step into this new era or whatever, things things really went off the rails. But at the time, I was I was the Rogers hater. I was, man. I was, I don't want to say hater, but I was the I was the guy that was constantly speaking out on Rogers. And and I'm just gonna wrap it up. This is what I said because I had people asking me in the chat, Clayton, you really need to speak up, man. They're everybody's bashing him and they're they're telling you know half truths and this and that. And uh matter of fact, let me read that message and then I'll just read what I put in the Discord and we'll just leave it there. Okay. Um, this came in from Dave. He said, uh, Clayton, thank you. Thank you for not feeding this stupidity around Rogers. <laughs> why can't they let him go? He's gone. It's over. 
yet they continue to bash the guy and doing it with half-truths. Thank you for steering the focus to the current Green Bay Packers. Looking forward to another full season of Packers Total Access. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate the kind words, Dave. Um, but, yeah, what I put in the Discord today is this is what I said. I, and, guys, understand I'm a business owner, right? I work with a lot of people. Um, I work with business teams. And people matter. They do. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it's, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to fan. I'm not going to tell you where your beliefs need to be. This is just my opinion, okay? And this is what I said in the chat. I'll try to read it without boring you guys too much. I said, like fans always say, it's a business. It goes both ways. How many times you guys heard that? You know, the Jordy, letting Jordy go, letting Micah Hyde go, letting Casey Hayward go, uh, letting Charles Woodson go, you know, maybe one year too early, uh, on and on and on. And it's a, well, it's a business, you know, as one podcaster likes to say, it's show friends. It's show business. It's not show friends, right? It's not show friends. It's show business is what he always says. So I said, like fans always say, it's a business. It goes both ways. It's voluntary. And he used to be 100% attendance, which is so true. He, he didn't stop attending OTAs until after McCarthy got fired midseason, right? I said they offered Jordy a minimum contract, then they embarrassed Coach McCarthy by firing him immediately following a midseason loss and hired a head coach without asking Rodgers' input, which I put in parentheses, not allow him to make the final decision, just simply cut him out of the conversation. It wasn't like it wasn't like they were like, no, we're not letting Rodgers have the final say. They didn't even ask him. They didn't even ask for his input on who the next head coach should be. You're talking about a generational talent, right? And I didn't used to feel like this. And I go on, I actually talk about this here. Um, I said, uh, let's see here, where was I at? Yeah, without by, you know, cutting him out of the conversation. At that point, he just said, screw it. It's a business. I'm not saying I agree with him, but that's how things unfolded. If you put yourself in his shoes, being a company's top performer, right? Imagine you're running a business and and that's your, your company's top performer. Imagine you are the company's top performer, right? You're leading in sales. You're leading in whatever. Your numbers are up over everyone else's, right? And the company treated you like that. I don't think it's unreasonable to refuse to come in and work for free. And some people still say, oh, it's not working for free. The hell it ain't, man. The hell it ain't. It's voluntary. It's collectively bargained to be voluntary, meaning you don't have to be there. You don't. And it's funny, there was a bunch of players that missed camp one of those years, right? And you don't hear anybody talking about that. It's just Aaron Rodgers is evil for missing it, right? <clears throat> and again, would I have been there? I like to think I would have. Now, based off of everything that I just said, a little bit different situation, right? Seeing how he felt like they were treating people. And whether you agree with it or not, it really doesn't matter. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of the old saying. It's, it's uh, you know, perception is reality. That that you may you may disagree with it, but if that's someone's perception, that's their reality. That's how they feel, right? And and you know, as a business owner and working with teams, that's important. You have to take those things serious. If if it just becomes, I don't give a crap what you think. I don't give a crap what the the little minions think. Go back and do your job, aka shut up and dribble. We've heard that over and over and over, right? And then all of a sudden. When the game's on the line, you want that superstar to win the ball game for you or win you a Lombardi. Now all of a sudden it matters, right? Like you can't you can't shoulder all the blame on someone when they when they have a bad game in the on the on the largest stage. But then when it comes time to make important decisions, all right, just go back to your place. We've got this. And I didn't always feel like this. And I, I kind of go on right here. I said, I'm not saying I agree with him, but that's how things unfolded. If you put yourself in his shoes being a company's top performer and the company treated you like that, I don't think it's unreasonable to refuse to come in to work for free. At the time, I agreed with the organization until I heard Peyton Manning and other players speak, speak about how they demanded input within the organization. Tom Brady, the same thing. And both of those quarterbacks went on to win Super Bowls with other teams. I want you to think about that. When Peyton was let go, it, he didn't have an issue with the Indianapolis Colts where they wouldn't let him have input. <clears throat> it was totally the opposite. They said that he made so many decisions. The night before the Super Bowl, the owner, Jim Ursay, came in. <coughs> excuse me, the voice is starting to go. Jim Ursay came into the meeting room and said, hey, listen, guys. Or I don't know if it's the night before the Super Bowl. It's definitely the week of the Super Bowl. And he says, if your families want to stay in the hotel with you, that's cool. You know, we're going to allow the families to stay in the hotel with with the players. They said Peyton Manning stood up in the meeting 
and said, no, we're not. And he sat back down. And they said, Jim Ursay said, okay, well, yeah, we could talk about it, Peyton. Peyton stood back up in the meeting and said, no, we can't. There, there's nothing to talk about. And guess what? The families weren't allowed in the hotel. <laughs> That's the kind of pull that Peyton had. Peyton cut people on the practice field. That's a known freaking fact. Now, you never hear Rogers cutting people, right? So, like, I had to take a step back and go, okay, this is how Peyton Manning operated, right? He won Super Bowl. Then he goes on to Denver and wins, I think, another Super at least one more Super Bowl, maybe two. I can't even remember at this point. Yeah, it was just one, just one Super Bowl. I think he broke the record for passing touchdowns um, that year. But anyway, I heard about you know them speaking out and what they demanded. Then you got Tom Brady, the same thing. And both of those quarterbacks, they went on to win Super Bowls with other teams. When Tom did it, I really had to sit back and acknowledge I was wrong for being so dug in on defending Mark Murphy without even trying to understand the other side. That's how I got to this point. That's what I told the guys in the chat. Like that, I wasn't this guy before. I was the guy that was shut up, do your job, you know, let them scout, let them play GM. You just focus on being quarterback and quit being a selfish little prick. Right. That's the way I always looked at it. But when I heard Peyton Manning speak up on it and I hear Tom Brady speak up on it, when Tom Brady left the Patriots, you guys know I follow the Patriots quite a bit too just because of the winning tradition. When he left the Patriots, I was going, I hope this blows up in his freaking face. He is choosing to leave New England to go to a team that's just loaded with offensive talent just because he just wants to win a Super Bowl. Forget everything that the organization ever did for him. Forget Robert Kraft. Forget Bill Belichick. All these people that turned him into this late-round gym and turned into the GOAT, right? And and then he goes to Tampa. And next thing you know, they bring Gronk in. And they bring this player in. They bring, you know, Leonard Fournette. All these, all these players that Tom Brady was obviously saying, bring him in, bring him in, bring him in. And I'm going, yeah, I hope it backfires. And they go out and win a freaking Super Bowl and beat us at Lambeau that year. Like, yeah, I can sit here and be dug in and go, I'm right and they're wrong. This is I know more than a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know how how stupid that sounds? Like, if we're not willing to grow and accept that we're wrong in certain situations, then what the heck are we doing? And that's I got to that point, man. And I was like, man, I got to sit back and really evaluate this. And I'm hearing other players go, this is look at how the Jets are responding to him going to New York. Right. And again, I didn't want to talk about this. I wanted this to be the Lucas Van Ness show. But again, I, I it's an obligation for me to respond to text messages from our listeners. And it's obvious that we connect on this you know, angle. And I just wanted to kind of lay it out there. Right. I said, notice I didn't mention that they then hired a top dollar at top dollar, meaning the first round pick, which I, too, agreed with. Don't think I didn't disagree with the Jordan Love pick. I did. I 100 percent was on board. Right. I still think it was the right move. But from, again, perception is reality. Put yourself in his shoes. Look at what they did to Jordy. Look at what they did to Charles. Look at what they did to all these players. Look at what they did to McCarthy midseason. Then they go hire a new head coach. He wants to give input. Mark Murphy says, shut the hell up and get out of here, and we don't need to hear it, right? And then he comes back and, okay, well, I'm just I'm, I'm not going to be going to OTAs then. And then he sees what happened to Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is another situation that nobody wants to talk about the real facts. They immediately turn to Devontae didn't want to be here. Devontae didn't want to be here. He said it himself. He don't want to be here. Guys, Devontae wanted to be in Green Bay two years before he said, I want to play in Vegas. Like, that's a known fact. That's what the whole last dance thing was about. The whole last dance social media post was Devontae Adams saying, this is it. This is the last dance. I'm done. I am not signing a contract here. Guys, they offered him more money, and he chose to go elsewhere. Why did he do that? Now, immediately people say, because you don't want to play with Aaron Rodgers? No, that's stupid. They're still best friends. They golf and all that stuff, right? Um, is it? Does he hate Green Bay? No, I don't think it's that. It's because two years before, when he was the best wide receiver in the game and he wanted a new contract, they wasn't giving it to him. And some of you guys are going, I don't mean remember re reading that. You don't remember reading it because that's the type of person Devontae Adams was. He was giving them the opportunity to give him a contract and, and, and do what was right in his eyes. Now, do I think they should have gave him that contract? Absolutely not. But again, it's not about what I think is best for the organization or what Ryan thinks best for the organization or anyone else. It's perception is reality. 
This is Aaron Rodgers' angle on how everything transpired. And that's how we got to that point. So with that being said, let's stop talking about it. Like, and and that's not a shot at the listener, although it, it applies to you too, man. Uh, who is it? Dave, I think. Yeah, Dave, thank you so much for the message, man. It applies to you too. It applies to me too. But also it applies to all those people that are so freaking sick and tired of hearing Aaron Rodgers the last two years. That's all I've heard. I'm so sick of Aaron Rodgers. Everything they've said. I mean, they bashed him. The other day, I heard a podcaster bash Aaron Rodgers because the New York media stood up and clapped for him at his press conference. Like, you're mad that the media clapped for him? You're weird, dude. You're you're like you're you're stalker level weird right now. That you're you're getting pissed off that the New York media clapped for Aaron Rodgers coming to a press conference, and he was irate about it. I'm like, how, why why does that even matter? It's crazy. You know, what one person on Twitter, this one got me too. They said, of course, now he goes to New York and he looks normal. What the hell looks normal? Yeah, I mean, he cut his hair and look how he, he's dressing normal again. Now we're judging him how he dresses. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but bro, you're sounding like stalker level here. You know, he shouldn't have he shouldn't have taken the big contract. That's the big if, if you wasn't gonna play in Green Bay, you shouldn't have taken that contract. But in the same breath saying that Brian Gudikins is a great GM. Bro, I hate to break it to you, but Aaron Rodgers didn't have the power to give himself that contract. You can't say Aaron Rodgers is at blame for taking that big contract when Brian Gutekunst cut the check, when Russ Ball signed off on it, when Mark Murphy, in my opinion, is the guy who's been behind everything. I think that he was the one that said, just make him happy, just give him a boatload of money. As Andrew Brandt says, the, the best way to say you're sorry is with a freaking paycheck. They did that. They went that route. Um, you know, he goes into the retreat. He's leaning retirement, right? He comes out wanting to play. That's gotten so misconstrued, and it, it makes me so angry. They go, oh, he said he was going to retire. And until <clears throat> he found out that the uh, that the Jets were interested, now all of a sudden he wants to play. That's not what he said happened. Let me give me a drink here. Voice is going. <clears throat> what he said was, I went into the darkness retreat, 90% I'm going to retire. And he said, I don't know what happened, but something changed. So when he was in the darkness retreat, something changed. He comes out and he wants to play. He goes to check his phone, and what happens? He has set, this is from his his perspective. Could be complete BS, right? I'm not here to say that Rogers is a saint and he never lies. I don't know. I have a hard time accusing people of lying when I don't know the truth myself. Therefore, if you're accusing someone of lying and you don't know all the facts, you by default are lying. That makes you a hypocrite and the lowest scum on the face of the earth, in my humble but accurate opinion. But he said he gets out of the retreat. He has several messages from players saying they've moved on. Now, immediately you go, who are those players, right? Who talked about that? Who said that? Well, Goody said based off of his conversations with players and coaches, they decided to go to move in a different direction. And that's when they began shopping him. So that checks out. So when he was doing exit interviews with players, what was he doing? What was Goody doing? When he was doing exit interviews with players, he was asking them, how do you feel about Aaron? And then a handful of those players, probably a good chunk of those players, immediately text Aaron and said, hey, man, they're asking us how we feel about you. Right? Now he's going, hold up a minute. So I go into the darkness retreat. You told me you can come back as a Packer or retire. It's your choice. We want you back if you want to play. He comes out and he's got buddies texting him going, dude, they're trying to push you out the door. And then all of a sudden he gets messages from across the league that they're shopping him to New York. Right, trying to set up a trade. Now he's now you got chip on shoulder, Aaron Rodgers. But he wasn't saying that's what caused him to to want to play. He was saying something changed in the darkness retreat, and he decided he wanted to play. Now again, you can say he lied. Right, could be the case. I don't know that for a fact, and I'm not going to accuse him of lying. Just not. I'm not going to accuse Goody of lying. I do know this though. One of them are lying, and I'm not going to play. You know. Uh, judge, jury, and executioner trying to determine or, or decide or, or play Matlock over here and figure out which one's lying. I could care less because, like we said, let's move the freak on. Like Dave said there, it's time to move on. So stop talking about him, right? 
Like, you're going to have Aaron Rodgers fans. We've seen it with Brett. It's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about that. But you going on, you know, uh, your little Twitter, you know, your little Twitter rants about how Aaron Rodgers is a horrible person and, you know, now he's dressing normal again or the media's clapping for him or they shouldn't have, you know, he shouldn't have took that big contract and all this stuff is like, come on, dude. They continue to talk about it because it's an excuse. That's that's the only reason that both sides continue to talk about it. And here I am talking about it, of course, because a listener asked me about it. Or I think it was actually just a compliment, but here I am. I'm done talking about it. Let's move on to 2023, guys. There's so much to be freaking excited about with this Packer team. And it, it doesn't have a damn thing to do with Aaron Rodgers. He's a jet. <laughs> Wish him luck. Hey, go, give him crap, champ. Yeah. Go perform. Do your thing. I'm going to be focused on 1265 Lombardi. I'm going to be focused on getting behind Jordan Love 110%. I'm going to be focused on Aaron Jones and Christian Watson growing into an even larger role. I'm excited about Reed coming in. I want to see what Romeo Dobbs does in his sophomore season. I want to see these two freaking tight ends just absolutely light it up with Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft. I want to see Lucas Van Ness, like I said, in that one and that three technique and pass rush situations on third and down, just absolutely annihilating Justin Fields. I want to see a healthy Rashawn Gary. I want to see Preston Smith make a comeback. I want to see Devondre Campbell return back to that all-pro form. I want to see Quay Walker take a step. Hell, I even want to see Darnell Savage play more than a 50 PFF grade, <laughs> right? Jair Alexander on the outside with Rasul Douglas. We'll see where Stokes fits in. Throw Keyshawn in the in the freaking slot. Let him make plays. Let him return kicks. And let's go out this year and have an awesome freaking season of Packer football. And notice I said Packer football. I didn't say Jets football. I didn't say Aaron Rodgers football, though you can fan how you want to fan. You want to root for Aaron, that's cool. You notice I never comment on anybody's Twitter page about what they post. Because it, it's literally you going to someone else's tweet and disagreeing with them when they didn't ask for your opinion. Unasked for advice is perceived as criticism. Unasked for anything is perceived as criticism. It's the same thing as walking up to somebody's front door and knocking on the door and going, I heard what you were talking about there at the dinner table, and I disagree. It ain't none of your business, dude. Just keep it moving. Like Ricky Gervais said, I post that video every time somebody disagrees with what I tweet. Like, bro, it ain't for you. Nobody asked your opinion, right? Nobody asked your opinion. Keep it moving. But this show is going to be about the 2023 Green Bay Packers, and I'm excited for Lucas Van Ness. Hope you guys enjoyed that chalk talk section. Sorry for that little mini rant at the end, but again, it just drives me crazy, man. Because all we're doing is, uh, all we're doing is just uh, dividing people. That's that's all we, we're doing when we talk about this stuff. So let's make sure we unify. Let's go out and have an awesome. Awesome season. The next Chalk Talk I'm going to try to put together for Luke Musgrave, then Tucker Craft and Jaden Reed. It should be a lot of fun. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go Pack Go. For Jordan Love. 37. Here he is throwing in the middle. It's caught by Watson. He's got great speed. Turning the corner. Christian Watson down the sideline. And he will score. To a one score game. This one is the stunner. You basically feel like, all right, this Eagles team sort of has this thing under control. And then Christian Watson hits the Jets again. Six touchdowns down in the last three games. He is really something. When he gets in the open field and running, that was some throw by Jordan Love, too.